WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians Live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so glad you're with us today. Appreciate it very much. You're tuning into the show and hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We're on live here in Port St. Lucie with We Are Just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher, one of the elders for the Church of Christ in Savona Boulevard, on Savona Boulevard. And with me, as usual, is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing pretty well this morning, Mike. <clears throat> Good. We're glad we can be with you today. And uh, as I said, we'll be on till 9 o'clock. This is a live call-in show uh, about anything that's on your mind, but spiritual matters of any sort, and you don't have to be you know, religious or a member of this church or anything like that to participate. In fact, we'd like to invite you to participate, maybe particularly if you're not a believer or a church-going person. We'd like to hear your thoughts on various subjects, and if you got any you know, complaints or things that you'd like to say, we'd be glad to hear that. And uh, we're going to give you the last word on whatever subject we talk about. Before I give you the numbers to reach us here and the ways to reach us on the show, let me do go over just a couple of the things, the ground rules of calling in. Not very many of them, very simple. We want to have a conversation with you if possible so we can uh, discuss a subject or come, make sure we understand your question that you have about whatever's on your mind. So if you can, stay on the line. If not, we'll understand that perfectly. But we also, uh, <clears throat> uh, and we also don't mind if you disagree with what's going on, on the show, with what we say and what we said in the past, or if you disagree about some other subject, some other religious subject that you've uh, Heard, heard discussed. We uh, we certainly don't mind if you disagree with us about those things. Uh, we'll try to treat you with respect. We don't say things on this show just to get people to respond so we can bait them into calling and then make fun of them while they're on the air. I know that's the modus operandi of a lot of different people, perhaps, but not this show. We'd like to hear what you have to say. And as I've said, uh, we'll give you the last word uh, on whatever subject it is, and then we'll move on to something else. So feel free to call in, make the show interesting, and uh, we'd like to hear what you have to say. And I say that truly, we would like to hear what you have to say. And uh, if we don't know the answer or don't have a, good, a response in some way that's meaningful, we'll think about that, maybe come back to that subject later on. So we appreciate your listening to the show and participation. And you can reach us by calling here in Port St. Lucie, 772 340 one five nine zero seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety that's the number to reach us live here and you can call in and you can call in from anywhere in the world if you want to uh you can listen to this show not only on the air live here on am radio wpsl 1590 but you can listen to the show on all your alexa devices google devices by just asking for this station on sunday mornings WPSL 1590, and it'll take you to this this show. You can also listen on the Internet. Just go to WPSL.com and click the Listen Now or Listen Live button. I forget which one it says now. Listen Now or Listen Live. <clears throat> and uh, you can bring this show up when we're on the air. You can also get the recordings of this show uh, in a podcast form or on our Internet website at We Are Just Christians. Dot com. We are just Christians.com. So that's some of the ways you can reach us to ask a question. You can also communicate with us by text message, which a lot of people do. 
You can use the text messages not only while uh, while the show's going on, but you can use these these text numbers any time during the week, and we'll try to respond to you either on the show or during the week. Two text numbers, one from me, that's Mike's, is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, and Gary's number is 772-260-6220, very similar, 772-260-6220. You can, uh, so you can, and you can also reach us by email, but we have a lot of ways to in touch. We, we we encourage you to do that. It makes the show interesting, and we'd like to communicate with you. Uh, we're not trying to solicit money from you or anything like that. We're not going to bombard you with emails and text messages about stuff that you don't want or about you know money or anything like that when you communicate with us. So don't you don't have, to have any fear about that. Uh, we we just uh, we want to hear from you about the thoughts, the ideas, the the concepts, the principles, the scriptures that are going forth, or, or your view against the scriptures, whatever it may be. But you can also reach us by email at justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. So we get emails from time to time, and we appreciate that. Well, Gary, this show, as we've talked about before, but in case we got some new new listeners, this show is about trying to restore New Testament Christianity here in the 21st century, to bring forth the idea of just being a Christian in the 21st century and get past some of the ideas, not only of our general society at large about what religion is, but also the traditions and a lot of the additions that have been made by human beings to the religion of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible, in the New Testament. And so this show is an appeal to turn back and go back to what the New Testament says. I think it's the way forward because the Bible was written in such a way as to be applicable to every age. It speaks to the human condition, what man needs, and it's very relevant, as it were, to the time that we live in. We try to show you that on this on this show. Well, Mike, basically, I, I keep going back to the scripture says exactly that. John 12:48 that I've quoted often before and maybe some of our listeners are getting tired of hearing it but it's a very important passage. Jesus says, "He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day." That points to exactly what you said, Mike. If, right. we're, if we're going to base our worship of God, we have to base it on what Jesus said, basically the scriptures and if you go through and look what he says in the Gospels is basically included in, in the letters and all of the things that was written, were written later by the uh, apostles. So we have to look at all of what is written by God. Now, of course, and that, that brings up the, the whole issue of how do I know that the Bible is the word <coughs> of God, which we've dealt with on the show and will continue to deal with. In fact, I'm not going to be here next week, so we'll have a recording. But Gary and I recorded a show recently uh, to use next week, and it's about inspiration. How do we right. know that the Bible is inspired, or what does it mean to say that the Bible is inspired? Uh, we just kind of nip across the top of that very deep subject in that one-hour presentation. <laughs> that, but, that, that subject uh, is far more than one hour. Yes, uh, <laughs> and, and we may not answer your questions about that, which is a good thing to call in about or text in about. We'll try to do the best we can to talk about that subject. 
on the show, but we've got a show coming up about that in a recording, uh, in a recording next week, the Lord willing. <clears throat> but that brings up the whole issue. Why should I pay attention? And so we try to deal with that on this show. We can show you in many ways. Number one, we can show you the, show you uh, what historians have said about about this book. We can show you from right inside the Bible itself how that the things dealt with there are relevant to today. And um, but that's that's part of the subject. But we are going off the presupposition, not just something we've assumed because we like it, but our fundamental premise of the show is that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it is it contains counsel that we need today and contains revelation about Jesus Christ that we need. We've mentioned before how a lot of people say they love Jesus, <coughs> but they don't believe the Bible. Well, you can't have it both ways. You, that's you, your only information you, about you, that's Jesus. That's the only information you have about him, at least to tell you what he says and so forth. You know, say, And the same thing is true about God. People make up their own ideas about God. But I can tell you, before before the Hebrews came along with their with the Old Testament and the New Testament in particular, ancient peoples did not believe that God was good. The idea that God's a good and loving God and all that is something that came out of Christianity because of what the Bible says about God himself. Now then, even people that don't believe the Bible have picked up on the idea that God must be good. But let me tell you something. Nothing in nature outside the Bible tells you that God is good. Uh, particularly, uh, not not or uh, at least in the way that the Bible does, or especially that He loves you and is trying to save you. Well, so, the problem the problem is you you have to define good. Well, that may be, and that's and, the problem we do have. But you know, Gary, the problem people go around and a lot of shallow Christianity out there. Some would say, well, you guys are pretty shallow. That may be, but uh, there's a lot of other shallow Christianity out there. And they do a lot of talking about being saved and God saving us and loving us. But they don't really want to deal with the problem of why we need saving in the first place. See, to say that we need to be saved implies implies something very fundamental behind that, which humans don't really want to talk about too much. And that is that we're lost without God. And that's something else we talk about on this show is the lost condition of human beings without God and without Jesus Christ. And we point that out by looking at the folly and the degradation of modern society. It's always been that way. Um, oh, here's one, Gary. Here's something I just right on top of my little stack here. Um, what did we talk about last week? Basically, uh, you know, people involved in pornography starting their own church. Yeah, they got that. The, and it's not just uh people that are trying to recover from pornography. This is a church out in California. The woman is a porn star at the present time. And it's a real hip, fun church, she says, uh, that she can be a pastor of a of a church uh, and, and still be involved in the porn industry. You know, uh, John texted in Romans 10, 18. Uh, I'd go back to verse. It's funny you texted this, John. Um, you don't know this, but I'm going to be using verse 17 probably in Bible class this morning, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world and so forth. So, so 
Yes, there is a rev. I'm not sure you're, what you're getting at here, but yes, there is a general revelation that God exists and you can know his power and his divinity. Romans one says in the things that he made in the creation. But what you can't tell about God from the creation is that he he loves man and has made a way in this love to save man. That's something that's revealed in the scriptures. And you can't really tell that God is good. And that's why the pagans threw their little daughters into volcanoes, because they had a wrong conception of God himself. What I started to tell you, though, this article just popped at the top about modern culture, what people think. Here it is. Woke Coke, it says. Here you'll never guess what this is. <laughs> Hipsters now want ethically sourced cocaine. Ethically sourced, sourced cocaine. Yes. Uh, Woke Coke is not about a fizzy drink company taking a stand on social justice issues again, which they've done, Coca-Cola, but it's about cocaine. British, the British are now paying 200 pounds or about $300 per gram, which is apparently about four times the normal amount for what they call ethically sourced cocaine. Because, you know, it says here, hipsters love having their products come with a good cause. So you can't just buy a product because you like it and you use it. You have to have a good cause behind it. You have to save something, save the world, save the whales, save something. Or maybe in what it, maybe it has to be organically grown. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's part of it here. You say, but uh, how is it possible to have an environmentally friendly sniff? <laughs> well, it turns <laughs> out you can't. These hipsters are getting duped. According to drug experts, there is no such thing as environmentally friendly woke coke. It's just a cleverly market, clever marketing tactic. Uh, drug policy expert Neil Woods told the Mirror, at $200 a gram, I call it the woke coke con. Dealers can lie because there's no control over it and so forth. But uh, um, there, there's no way that vi- vi- he says violence and exploitation in source countries to young and vulnerable people on the streets of the UK put at significant risk. Harmful elements of the cocaine trade cannot be avoided. Forests are being destroyed, hazardous chemicals being used to produce the drugs, and, and sometimes these are dumped into the waters, and so forth. So anyway, you, you've got all this, uh, there's a bunch more to this article, but where, where are we morally and th- thought process where I, I don't have any ethics that prevent me from getting high and using cocaine, not being in my right mind. But I just want to make sure that I'm a good person because my my cocaine is ethically sourced. So morality has been turned inside out and upside down. Uh, This is a, a kind of a replacement morality for what the Bible would call morality when it becomes whether you're environmentally friendly is much more important than uh, whether you're committing fornication or adultery or something else. Well, Mike, it just seems to me that that's basically what the left does most of the, just about all of the time. They make things sound good, but on analysis and logic application, they're false. Right. And, and basically, you know, there is truth and we need to look for truth. And yet everything is made to sound good, even to the point of changing the definition of words. Of, or, word, of what good, the word good is. You know, yeah. what the or word ethical. Good, 
you know that that's what I said. You know, you got to define definition. what good is. Uh, well, here this this is this verse. I'm reminded in that story we mentioned a moment ago about <laughs> the the porn star pastor out in California and her husband. Here's a here's something to consider from the scriptures from Proverbs 30 verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, "I have done no wickedness." So there it is. This this woman, and there's a smiling picture of her with her husband there. He's some kind of uh, entrepreneur. It calls him um, Della Rosa or something in her name. He's probably the name. producer. It may be, <laughs> but she's committing adultery against him, probably in his very presence, and certainly uh, uh, bragging about it. And she wipes her mouth after she's committed adultery and says, I've done no wickedness. Look at me. And so we take our cocaine. We get high. We get drunk. We become intoxicated. And we say, I've done no wickedness because, after all, I use ethically sourced cocaine. And all, all, of the, all the liquor that I drink was made in a factory that doesn't exploit, you know, LGBTQ people or something like that. We've got to have all that kind of stuff. So the ethics... There's ethics there, quote unquote, but it shifted from what the Bible calls more morality and moral violations onto something that humans have invented as being moral, which allows them to do pretty much what they want to do uh, as long as they meet some other criteria. But boy, don't ever cross these people. If you think the church lady is mean, get on the <laughs> other side of one of these woke hipsters here about some issue that they think is important oh yes and you're going to be in big trouble for for doing that um it's it's just it's unbelievable and that's because human beings are built as moral creatures people like christopher hitchens can come along and the atheists can say that the human morality and ethics are just an invention of evolution but it's so ingrained in every one of us that there is such a thing as right or wrong that we can't hardly get away from it, even in the even when we don't, even when we want to. So we have to make up things that that are ethical. But I thought of that verse when I read that story. The adulterous woman. This is her way. This is the way she operates. She wipes. She eats. She does what she wants. She wipes her mouth and says, "I've done no wickedness." Now the way that works today, Gary, in a more sophisticated way, sometimes is that the adultery is justified by feminists and by others, and even by some Christian, so-called Christian counselors, even in the marriage situation, is justified because the husband is a bad guy. So as long as you can have this idea in your mind that my husband is not a good person, or my husband has mistreated me in some way, he doesn't share my values, my husband doesn't understand me, whatever it may be, now you're perfectly free to commit adultery, and you can wipe your mouth and say, I've done no wickedness, because after all, my husband is such and such. Men do the same thing about their wife. My wife doesn't show me any affection, so I'm perfectly justified in committing adultery, whatever it may be. And we have a lot of excuses that are made for it. I think in general, just observationally, you can make it what you want. I think men are just more open about it and say, yeah, I saw her. She was pretty. I wanted to have an affair, so I did that. Women have to have a lot more uh, justification, self-justifications to make that happen. 
and emotional justifications to abandon. And, and that's true about a lot of things. But this is her way. I wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wickedness. Now, uh, so the, the Bible, there were people like the ones in San Diego in Bible times. They were there. This is not something new. It may be shocking to us in our society in some way, but it's not anything new. And, and you know, here's the other thing. If I was an unbeliever, Gary, and I, I'm, I'm not, obviously, but here's what I would say. Well, you can get mad about this porn star pastor out here, but how many pastors and churches right now are trying to be porn stars? You just don't know about it. And you try to, or, and, or and in, you churches try to cover up the ones who are involved, trying to be porn stars in their own life. Involved in the same sin, just not in a public manner. Basically, I keep coming back to John twelve forty eight. Uh, Jesus, and, and on Wednesday night we're studying in the Gospel of John, and Jesus talks about in a place or two the the world is going to hate him. And basically, I'm beginning to understand more and more why he said that. Because his word is a standard of judgment in the last day. Now, uh, admitted, you and I have a presupposition there is a judgment, there is a last day, and we're all going to be held to account. But Hebrews 4.12 says something of, of the reason, I believe, to why. Beginning in verse 12 in Hebrews 4, he says, For the word of God, the word of God, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we do not like that. Right. We, we don't want the thoughts and intents of our heart revealed even to ourselves. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier about the need. There, need, there was a need for God to provide a method of salvation or a plan for salvation for man. Man doesn't want to believe that there's a need there. And basically because of the thoughts and intents of his heart. So the word of God is not popular in reality. People who actually want to see what's there uh, are not going to find something that in general they like. And that's why it's put to one side, and it's being put to one side more and more and more each day in our society, and it will be the downfall of this nation and our society because we're losing our moral standards. Sorry, I had to go on that rant. No, that's okay. That's that's exactly right. <clears throat> well, I've got another um, – here, here's another story. Um it, it's I, I don't even know where to start with this one. It's very similar to what you're saying. Where I don't know what the topic is today, but I would say that um, well, yeah. John just says uh, uh, text in. Most people view the Bible as a rule book that's designed to make your life boring. Um, well, I guess that kind of was a view that as a young person I might have had. Uh, about that when i was a little boy i listened and i thought well you know if it's fun it must be wrong and if it's you know not fun then god wants you to do it three times a week you know like go to church whatever the case may be that's how that's how you decide what's right or wrong look at what's fun and what's not fun you know if it's fun it's wrong of course that was pretty misguided 
but that's the way a lot of people are. So is the Bible a rule book? Well, that's a loaded question. Does the Bible contain commandments of God that I'm supposed to follow that are designed to help my life and to keep me from violating my true nature and sinning? Yeah, the Bible's got a lot of commandments in there and obligations that it places upon me as a human being. Uh, I think that, that I, I think the real purpose of the Bible was to reveal how God intends to save me from myself and from my own sin and the way to be saved. That's what the Bible's about. Part of that's obeying God and doing what God says. Uh, but uh, in any way, here's this story. Now, the end of the story here, before we get into it, is this is a this is from some kind of a, a mega church pastor. His name is Steve Austin. And uh, he was popular and all this kind of stuff. Well, apparently last year or earlier this year, he killed himself. And um, yes, I think I remember that. Yes. And, and of course, that brought out the whole spate of articles, which we talked about at various times uh, of <clears throat> of people saying it isn't suicide, just such a wonderful thing. And the old Vincent song, you know, of. Uh, the world was just too good for someone as beautiful as you and all of this kind of stuff that suicide's not a sin and, and all that. And suicide is one of the most destructive things a person could ever do to anybody that he claims to love. Uh, it, it's just I, now I'm not trying to condemn people who are mentally ill, but I'm trying to tell you that if you and maybe I shouldn't say this, Gary, if you want to hurt people that love you or that you or people that you don't like, if you want to hurt them unendingly for the rest of their lives, if you want to give them a pain that will never go away, go ahead and kill yourself. And when you do that, you will give you will cause all those people left behind. You will cause them the kind of pain that can never be fixed. Even when we try to justify it and say it's not that big a deal, the pain of suicide and the feeling of inadequacy and helplessness and failure that, that's left in, in those who survive is, uh, is overwhelming. And so I, I find no defense for suicide. I broke no defense for it. I'm not going to act like it's a good thing. Uh, that's not showing a lack of sympathy for those whose relatives have killed themselves. I'm not saying that at all. And I even have sympathy for those who feel compelled to kill themselves. But that doesn't change the consequences of the act. Me, them being a sympathetic figure doesn't change the consequence of the act. It, it's a, uh, it's like the fact that, for example, and I'm getting too far afield here, Gary, that people rail against sexual perpetrators who commit sexual sin against uh, young people or women or something. But and they want to see them strung up by their toenails with barbed wire. But the fact is, the, those perpetrators have also usually, almost always, statistically been the victim of sexual abuse themselves. So do they deserve our sympathy as a, as a victim or our, our hatred as a perpetrator? Well, it's, it's a little bit complicated there, but here's the truth what I'm trying to tell you. The fact that that person has been abused in no way justifies the abuse that they inflict upon others. The fact that a person is depressed or uh, feels mistreated or uh, misunderstood, whatever it may be, is troubling someone who commits suicide. I may have a lot of sympathy for them as a person, but that doesn't change and, and redo the horrific nature of the suffering they inflict upon those who leave behind. And, and so uh, this 
fellow Steve Austin here. He, he was a pastor that people, uh, I use the word in a, not in the Bible sense, but in the worldly sense of a pastor, the way we define it today. The Bible is much more specific about the qualifications of a pastor than the way it's being used in this article or the way I'm using it right now. And so um, this this whole uh, he ended up killing himself. But he, before he did that, he put out this article embracing the truth of my sexuality. I read this first and I was uh, I didn't have the same take, as you can imagine, as a lot of people did on the article. Basically, he says, um, do you believe that God loves every part of you? Or have you been hiding in the pews and the shadows, too? For the first 30 years of my life, I lived in fear of God or anyone else, knowing my deepest truth. In our small, closed-minded corner of Christian America, or American Christianity, everyone believed that the ultimate definition of a true Christian was straight, white, cisgendered, Republican, spirit-filled man or woman of God. I I deny that. that. That's where the article goes off the rails immediately him making such an outrageous statement that all of us, everyone believes you've got to be a Republican and a white male or a white person to be a Christian. Absolutely false. That kind of slander well, is you know what just that, coming from the wrong place. You know what that tells me, Mike? That tells me here is a person who pretends to be a pastor but has virtually no idea of what Scripture actually what you, says. Well, what you're going to say, see, is this whole article tells you what a dishonest person he is and was. I read this before he died, so I was, uh, you know, have have to have a little more uh, something different. But it says he constantly. I tried to constantly deny my true self and be someone completely different, in order to please God of fear or shame and be accepted by my family. But do you have any idea how exhausting it is to perform your whole life for people who will only fully accept you if you deny anything about yourself that doesn't meet their approval? For the past three decades, I've lived a lie, hoping to appease a group of people who only support you if you follow their rules and live up to their unfair and unrealistic expectations. I knew I was completely straight when I was 12. So here's a man from 12 years old. He knows he's not straight. So what does he do with that? He becomes a pastor and leads a huge number of people off on this merry journey. And then when you read the article, I'm not going to read all of it, you see he's blaming them because he feels bad about them what he is. He blames them for forcing him into a closet when he's the one who chose to be a leader of people who he knows don't believe what he does. Now, you know, that's simply not honorable. I can't, they praise this man. I can't see any honor in this. And now he says he's writing, he wrote two books about being vulnerable. He's released about being vulnerable and open. He was hiding for 30 years. And he started out knowing that he was hiding. This, like this revelation came to him, he started out knowing it. And, and uh, you can read the article. But um, so now the next article is coming out and mental health crisis in the back is in the background of Stephen Austin's suicide. So now, rather than attributing some of this to his own, you know, dishonesty and hypocrisy. It's all of our fault because it's a, he had a mental health crisis and it's the, the fault of the people that are trying to say it's not right. So he didn't seek help for this. 
He didn't seek any guidance for this. He didn't seek to try to understand this in some way. He just said, I'm just going to hide and fool people and live a lie and then blame them for when it's done. Now, now John texts in and makes a, a point that, yes, uh, uh, we need to reach out for these to these people before it's too late. That's true. But the research shows that that's usually very unsuccessful. It's only successful in a small number of cases about like me preaching the gospel to a crowd of people, Gary. It's only successful in a very small number of cases. Uh, but that's true. We do, do, need, do need to try to help people with this. And so, yes, there is a, an element of mental illness and people have a difficult time overcoming depression. But also from the Bible standpoint, I know that there are biblical reasons why people get depressed and there are biblical answers to get you, to help you, not to get you out of your depression, but to help you with your despair and your depression. And it's something that I personally have struggled with at times. But for this kind of, but, but to, to the, for the religious world, and I'm, I'm not upset so much about the, the broader society in this case I am about the so-called Christians who want to now wring their hands over a pastor that's been a hypocrite for 30 some years and then blame other people for that problem. Now, the other side of the coin is. I, I think that that the church ought to be a place among Christians where we can discuss issues like depression or homosexuality and talk to young people about their sexual desires and proclivities in a, in a way that is open and not just condemnatory, because I think that's one reason that sexual predators sometimes hide in very conservative churches because they know no one's ever going to suspect them and no one's certainly ever going to talk about uh, child molestation in very conservative churches. It's just so taboo that no one would even talk about it. And, and you don't talk about sex in conservative churches. Well, we do here, but uh, th those are some of the problems. So I understand that. But but there's a basic for, for churches to. I'm sorry, Gary. Go ahead. But there's a basic problem here, Mike. This is a gentleman that does not believe in God. He does not believe. He may profess well, he, he believes. He doesn't believe in God as it's revealed in the Bible exactly. He's made up his well, own way that he thinks God is. You no, know, he even, he even what he does. He's, Jesus says in, in John 5, and I believe it's 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? What was he doing? Why was he doing this? My my impression from the from what you've said and what little I've read of, of of what these articles say is that he really was in this to honor himself. He was feeding himself. Uh, he wanted he was having power over these people in in the way that he wanted. Well, when you receive when you're looking for yes, honor from you get other honor people, and glory in this. Yes. You get honor and glory from other people, and you're not looking to God for that. I have to say he does not believe in God in any way. Being a preacher or a pastor will not fix your problems. Your mental health problems, your sexual problems will not fix those things any differently than if you're not a pastor trying to understand 
the scriptures and get help for what you need from people that can help you. It doesn't change it. It reminds me a little bit, and I know that from personal experience of having been a quote-unquote <laughs> pastor for 47 years. It doesn't change it. Just like getting married won't fix your sexual deviancies or or your proclivity to want to have sex with a lot of different women or your pornography problem. Getting married won't fix any of those things by itself. You, you have to do something else, something more specific, something more directed from the scriptures to begin to fix those problems. Uh, I probably mentioned this before. I don't know. But you, some years ago, a few years ago, uh, I lose track of time now that I'm old. Um, does that happen to you, Gary? Oh, yeah. I think something happened yesterday. It was five years ago. Feels like yesterday. But anyway, oh, uh, yeah. when you're a young person, five years is a long time. When you're as old as me and Gary, five years isn't that long. But but anyway. Uh, well, when you I, were 10 years old, it was half your life. Yeah, that's what but, I'm saying. <laughs> I couldn't. I can't even imagine. Years ago, I remember thinking 50 years. Oh, my goodness. That's a that that's a lot. I, I, I got a picture on Facebook from, from friends of mine that I've known since elementary school last night. I showed pictures of some of the kids there that was taken in 1967 you know that's more than 50 years some years ago i can't even believe it anyway boy they look uh, some of those people life hasn't been kind to and the worst part of it was of that group of people in that class picture there's 24 of them uh six at least six of them are already dead anyway my wife pointed well, see, that, that out that's to me. the other part you, but you mentioned had, suicide and that's the other part of the suicide thing that bothers me because Basically, evolution teaches us we're just like animals. When we're dead, we're dead all over. And and you and people begin to believe that suicide ends their pain. And I don't believe that happens. I, I keep going back to uh, the rich man and Lazarus. What did the rich man express in terms of asking Lazarus to bring him water? Because he was in torment in this place. It, it's 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 sad to me that that at least from scripture what i understand is someone who has committed suicide has not gotten out of their pain they have only made it worse in a different sense yeah uh that and and if we had that understanding i think there would be a lot less suicides but that's just my analysis of it uh yeah that's right. It doesn't change anything and uh, one way or the, except to create pain on the part of uh, those who are left behind. Now, I understand sometimes suicides happen uh, more inadvertently than not. I don't think people have thought through it like young people and all. There's lots of reasons. So I'm not issuing. A, I'm not saying, well, you commit suicide, you're automatically going to hell. There's no salvation. I don't know that. But I don't think I have I have no inclination to somehow glorify or pretty up a su suicide. Um, it, it's a problematic thing. And, and yet I'm going to get back to where I was going in a minute. But but the problem with saying how bad suicide is and how much it hurts people that are left. Let me tell you the problem. I, I in doing drug counseling some years ago, I found out that there when you tell young people, you know, you're going to destroy your parents' lives by using drugs. You're going to hurt your parents so bad. You're going to hurt your family so bad if you keep using drugs. Well, guess what? That tells them exactly what they want to know. That's precisely what they want to do is hurt their parents or their family. And, and so you're not you're not making an argument that would convince them to not do drugs. 
And, and that's the same thing is true with suicide. Well, let's stop. Literally, what is that, Mike? That is vengeance. Well, yes, it is. That, that is that's vengeance. what makes it wrong. God so says the sin vengeance there is, is mine. vengeance. Yeah, vengeance so you, is mine. So you tell someone, well, suicide is going to create a terrible problem for your family and people that survive. Well, it could be that that's the very thing that they want to do. And I think that is the motivation for a lot of suicides. And is that a sin? It, it's a sin. That's a sin. That 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 is the sin. Okay, not not having faith in God and 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 taking vengeance. That's the sin. But there are many suicides that don't appear to have those things for reason. So um, you have to be cautious and understanding about assigning what you don't know the reasons were to that. So the sin may be involved, may be revenge, may be other things. But um, in any event, what I was going to say before is uh, about people trying to fix problems with the things that, that with that by being religious. Like I, I, I got a feeling put a good to put a good spin on this Steve Austin's story and him coming out after 30 years of being a pastor and leading thousands of people really as a hypocrite. He um, I read a, I read an article, an interview of a Catholic archbishop, I believe, or bishop about the sexual scandal in the Catholic churches. This was a few years ago. And, and he made a good point, a fair point that ought to be brought out. He said, look, we, we have a screening process to weed out homosexual young men and men with sexual deviancy from becoming a priest. Not that we're going to throw them away. We have other programs to help them. But we try to do an exhaustive testing, psychological testing, to, to discover this so we can help them. And he, and he said, and yet, and yet some people slip through that and they've decided as a young man that they have a sexual problem, either a deviancy or strong sexual urges of some sort that they have difficulty controlling, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, bisexual, whatever it may be. And they they've really are sincerely trying to beat this problem. They recognize it's a sin. They want to beat it. And the method that they choose is to become a priest. They think if I could just become devoted to God and become celibate, that that would fix my problem. And so they they desire to get into the priesthood and they go th- they get in. They are able to get into the into the priest training. They are able to go through all the testing and they do pretty well. So for the first few years, they're a priest. Their sexual behavior seems to be under control and they think they've got it beat. But because they never really dealt with it on any real personal level, never really had any kind of help or counseling or instruction in these matters, they eventually succumb to the temptation. The desire returns, and they succumb either to homosexuality, bisexuality, uh, just heterosexual behavior. They succumb to the temptation. He said, now that makes the church look bad. Well, yes, it does. But he says there's that element that is always present. And I think that's true, generally speaking, with Christianity or religion in general, as well as it's true about people becoming preachers or religious leaders of some sort. A lot of people have problems as a young people with sexual difficulties. It isn't the end of the world. It's pretty common, actually. Most people struggle with sexuality as a young person, one way or the other. But there's a certain number of those people that they think that if I become a preacher or a pastor and and have to live a 
a good life, then I'll be able to beat this. They don't do anything else. Their pride is still intact, as you mentioned. They, right. Their arrogance is still intact. Their their other proclivities for self-centeredness is still intact. That They get to tell everybody else what to do. Selfishness. They're, we call them leadership qualities today, and I put that in quotes. Uh, that's the leadership qualities that we promote in churches and other places. All that's still intact. Um, and they're, uh, they, then they come become a preacher. And it works out for a while, probably. But over time, it becomes painfully obvious that they're not going to be. So they try to be secretive about it. Some of them are open. They just uh, some of them are open and, and, and they just get out. You know, they have their affair. They get out. They do what they want to do. Others become disenchanted because they don't seem to be able to beat their own personal problems. How can they help other people? And so they leave also. But there's always that percentage, like this Steve Austin, who stay and become a hypocrite, phony, as it were. And he struggles with that. He's he's trying to say, I'm st- I struggle with being a phony, but I am one. And and then they perpetrate this kind of damage on the churches. It reminds me of when I'm doing wet- weddings, Gary. I've done lots and lots of weddings. And so as the preacher, I'm the one that's stuck behind the uh, in the little room off to the side of the of the auditorium with the groom and his men, you know, or someplace like that. And he's out in the courtyard behind the bushes so that she can't see the bride. I'm the one stuck out there with these guys. And and I, I made a point many starting many, many, many years ago. I take this groom aside. I said, now, look, 15 minutes or half an hour, you're going to be doing this. I said, this is your last chance. Look, I'm dreading. I said, now, listen to me carefully. I mean this. I'm not joking with you. This is your last chance. If you don't want to do this, if you're being pressured by the groom's mother or I mean the bride's mother or your mother or whoever it may be or whatever the bride, whatever it may be. If you are having doubts about marrying this woman, tell me now, tell me right now that you want to stop this and I'll stop it. And they look at me. Usually their eyes get real big. You know, they what I said, I mean it. I'll go out there. I'll I'll go out there and tell them. We're not going to do the wedding. I'll go tell. I'll go talk to the bride personally. You don't even have to go do that. I'll go tell her that you're, we're going to put this off. We're not going to do this today. I said because. Oh, but she'll be hurt. I said yes, she'll be hurt. But she's going to be hurt a whole lot more five years down the road when you say that, and or you, ten years and down. The road. And you're going to be hurt. And you're going to be hurt a lot five, <coughs> five or ten years down the road when you say that. So do it now. Now, if you do this today, if you go through with this, and you tell me no, Mike, I'm good then I expect you, because you make an oath to God, that you're going to do your best to not go back on the oath, and you're going to live with this woman for the rest of your life. You're going to go through the ups and downs. You're going to try to understand her and love her and get along with her, and you're going to put yourself second to her. I said, that's what I expect of you if you go through with this. So this is a little lecture I give grooms. I wish more people did it, actually. But uh, now, it's called I can't, I can't say that I'm not relieved when they say, no, I'm good. So I don't have to go tell that bride. That, <laughs> but I would do that. I, I would definitely do that because the pain that this man caused 30 some years down the road to himself, had he decided when he was 16 or even 12, I'm going to do something about this, and get some help. He, he probably wouldn't have committed suicide. He wouldn't have left his family desolate and heartbroken and all those thousands of people that thought he was the cat's pajamas, you know. He would have left them heartbroken if he had done something about it before 
instead of being a phony. Now, I'm not trying to heap condemnation upon someone who has uh, killed himself. But on the other hand, I don't think it's just out of the blue that he was depressed. Was I surprised to find out this man who had been hiding his homosexuality for years as being a queer? He called himself a queer for years. Was I surprised to find that he was depressed? Well, of course not. Of course not. It, it makes perfect sense that he was depressed. Uh, go, go to. Um, by the way, Gary, do you have any idea what our subject is today? Uh, no. No idea. Okay. It just, it, we've been all over the map. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know why this happened. But I'm going to talk about this in our Bible class this morning. Uh, <clears throat> Cain and Abel is what we're studying in the book of Genesis. If you want to come to the Bible class, uh, get in the car now. Get over here by 10, 10, 10 or so. We get done with the show about 10 minutes after 10. We start our Bible class. We're talking about Genesis chapter 4. And here's Cain and Abel. And so... They both, these boys, uh, young men, or men grow up, and one offers one sacrifice, one offers another. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. He was displeased with Cain's sacrifice. We'll probably talk about what the differences were this morning, but I want to focus on this. It says that God did not have respect, in verse 5 of Genesis 4, to Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The word countenance, or the expression countenance falling, is an old way of saying he was depressed. His face went down, literally. He was depressed, we call it. Depression and your countenance falling, it's the same figure of speech. And here's what happened. So when he did wrong and God didn't like it, he was condemned for it or disapproved of. He became angry about that, which is typical because if you start studying depression, and I'm sure if you look in this, even the article this man wrote before he died shows great anger. He's angry at all these people out there who have wronged him somehow because they forced him to be a, pretend to be a heterosexual. Can you force somebody to pretend to be a heterosexual? I don't think so, but he thinks you can. He's depressed. He's angry about that. Plus, he's depressed well, enough did, to kill himself. I keep coming back to the same reason, Mike. How did they force him? Because he loved the praise of men, and he knew he would not get that praise. He didn't get it, and that's one of the reasons people become preachers or pastors, because they love that praise. And if, if they're not willing to openly understand that, that they like to be idle, I love having the approval of other people. I finally have to admit, I, I love people approving of me. And well, uh, sometimes con- I that, get that sometimes, but that can be good. But it can also be very destructive to me and others if I don't understand that. Right. It, what it means is you have to put that desire for approval behind the what things. God says what? and what you teach. And that is a <laughs> difficult thing. Yeah. When I tell in people, some that, cases. when I tell people, I, you know, I, I seek to, I want people to like me. I, I need them to like me. Oh, that's terrible. Well, you know what they call a person who doesn't care if people like them? A psychopath. That's what they call them. There's well, no concern if other people like them or not. So there's extremes on both of these. Well, there's degrees of that concern. Obviously. Uh, but and, and basically that. You want to say, oh, you shouldn't care if anybody likes you or not. Well, that person usually is a problem. It, it depends on basically who that person approves of. And, just, you know, th- there's an old saying. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Who do we decide to imitate? God wants us to imitate him. Right. That's where our imitation should be. That's where our center of focus should be. We should be looking for the approval of God rather than men. 
And pride is what drives us to that approval of men. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, I don't want the approval of men, but I'd better not want the approval of men more than, more I, than I do. To, yes. And that's the point I'm making. Of God. There's a balance in there, of course. And so that's one of the things that we, we have to be careful with. We just, and, we, but when you just only want the approval of men so you can be lifted up above other people, that's the problem. Well, and from, from everything that you've read here. in the article and what we said today, this man had a problem with that. How did people How force, did he deal with it? That's a question. Well, he, he dealt with it in the wrong way, but yeah. basically by saying that these people forced me, the only way they had of coercing him is their approval. They they didn't have any other way of coercing him to do these things, other than their now, approval. I can tell you from personal experience, there are a lot of unfair pressures and expectations people have of ministers and pastors and their families. A lot of them, and I don't like a lot of them. And I, you know, sometimes I'm willing to talk about it, sometimes I'm not, because it doesn't do any good to talk about it to tell you the truth. But I can't say anybody's forcing me to stay here and to do what do what I do. That's my choice. And and uh, so to imply that that's the problem is crazy. Now, I want to go back real quickly because we only got five or six minutes left to Cain and Abel for a second. So God comes to Cain after Cain, Cain became depressed and angry. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not you, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desires for you, but you should rule over it. What did he do? He killed his brother. God says to him, you know, sin is lying there, standing there, waiting to pounce on you. Don't commit sin just because you're depressed and angry. And if you do well, will you not be accepted? Yes, you can be accepted. But rule over it. But do, but you should rule over this sinful desire that you have. So that's the advice I give people. That's what I would tell this man. Yes, you have desires. You need to rule over them. You need to seek help and guidance for that. You may not need. You may need to get out of being some a pastor or some kind of a Christian leader because of this. That's not the end of the world. You can have a. You can be pleasing to God and everybody else without being a leader of some mega church. You don't have to do that. You may have to change your lifestyle, but all of that's worth it to be pleasing to God. All of that's worth it to be pleasing to God, and you shouldn't. It shouldn't end up where you destroy the lives of your wife and children by killing yourself. Should not end up that way. Cain murdered his brother. This man murdered himself. And that's a shame. It's, it's, it's a sad story. Both of them are. And there are others like that. Uh, someone, te- John texted in, uh, he thought Judas was the only one in the Bible who committed suicide. Well, that's not, he's the most prominent one. Saul, uh, the first king of Israel, committed suicide. suicide. And uh, rather than be shamed and tortured by his enemies. And and there's another good case. Saul was started off as a good man, but because he loved the praise of people and didn't want to be criticized or thought less of, he became more and more wicked as time went by. And it's a sad story, the fall of of King Saul. Ooh, there's a good story. The fall of King Saul. I didn't even know I could (laughs) rhyme like that, Gary. But But basically, you have the same problem we are seeing here. You when someone loves the praise of other people or men, as as Jesus said, more than they love the praise of God, you're headed for trouble, no matter what you do. Right. right. It, and and it's obvious to me. I, I'm not sure that I would say that he had to seek help. Help was in the scripture. 
And he was in a position that he should know the scripture and know the Bible well. Well, that's true. But, of course, knowing it and then knowing how I can apply this to myself. Exactly. That, that's it, that's a, sometimes that's difficult. where you need counsel and wisdom over time. But it's hard for people to to do that. Now, you know, I guess I got off on this story partly because it illustrates a problem in in the world in glorifying suicide and self-worship. But it also is. Is a problem in churches where these kind of things are either thrown aside, like this church in San Diego, where morality is just thrown aside, or whether there's feels we have to have some need to cover everything up, you see. And and that's the problem. Part of the problem is, Gary, truthfully, that we have this pastor system in much of American Christianity. That's one of the re- That's one of the purposes of this show. When we talk about being just a Christian, we're trying to get past the pastor system and the megachurch stuff and even the way most Protestant and Catholic churches are run and go back to what the Bible says. The Bible gives a clear definition of a pastor and a bishop uh, and, and, and a shepherd, the elder. The three are the same office in the Bible. Almost any Bible scholar and historian will tell you that the three are the same office. And the Bible gives clear qualifications as to what the, what's involved in that. And the fact is, I would say most all of these pastors in these mega churches, these celebrity pastors in particular, and many other places, they've never even read these verses in that context. That's what you're saying. They should yes. know the Bible, but they don't. And, they've, and the churches, the people, the, the, the deacons and other people in these churches haven't tried to apply them. They've just assumed that since their church has a charter that says this, and it's the tradition of our church to have this thing, to pick a pastor for these reasons. They pick their pastors, as it were, for all the wrong reasons, and they have only one pastor in the church, where the Bible pictures the church as having multiple pastors as equals to each other. There are no head pastor, no lead pastor. And we can talk about that in another show. Our time has gone today. But they are ignoring what the Bible says about that. You can find, by the way, the qualifications the main source of these is in First Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one down through verse seven. First Timothy three, one through seven, verse eight to about twelve, the other qualifications for deacons. Then over in the book of Titus in chapter one, you also read of Paul giving a, 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 the qualifications of these same elders, same bishops to Titus. He, they were the men. They were to be cho- men were to be chosen to be elders in a church and pastors in a church with these qualifications in mind, not how many leadership courses they've taken, not how tight they wear their jeans or where they get their hair styled, but these qualifications. Well, Gary, we got about a minute left. Well, I just I just keep coming wrap back. Wrap this up. Give, give us 10, 15 seconds here. He says in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please him for who. He must one must believe that God is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right. These people are not diligently seeking God. And I pray that we could. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Please take a look at our website. We are just Christians. Come visit us. Twenty one ninety six Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd be glad to have you 10, 11 and 730 on Wednesday night. May God bless you.
and tune in again next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie. The Lord has promised.